The Deolan monastery clung to the edge of the cliff like a bat hanging off a stalagmite. Narrow ramps spiraled out of a main hive and connected to single rooms or platforms or sometimes into holes. Master Dentra had been up high before without railings on the edge, but this time was particularly daunting. Though the mist shielded the view beyond a few dozen feet, he was all too aware of how far down it was after they had ridden flying beasts upward for more than a quarter of an hour. The Deolans had wings which allowed them to glide if they fell, or if they simply desired to go from one giant pillar to another, but he would have no such protection. The Force is with me, and I am one with the Force. He kept whispering. Dubly had no such concern. He was chatting amiably as he followed his friend Maj on a tour of the area. Inside the building, Deolans who lived there were going about their daily lives. Like human monasteries, they all dressed the same, or at least close to it. Groups of them gathered for various activities. These included the mundane, such as cooking and cleaning, and training, such as discipline and meditation. What surprised them was two other types of training. In one of them, lines of Deolans moved their limbs in slow, redundant fashions practicing moves that resembled both dance and martial arts. In other, more open-air rooms and on balconies, they appeared to be manipulating the mist. Twisting their hands and waving their arms, they at first seemed to just be fanning the air and thus moving the fog. But soon, the air twisted unnaturally, and one could even see ripples shooting far out from their bodies. In this fashion, they moved objects they weren't near, felt surfaces they weren't touching, and sent messages without speaking. They're all force wielders, Master Dentra said. Like the Jedi. Like the Jedi, yes. But not the force. The mist. It surrounds these people and binds their valley together. All who learn how to manipulate it can use it. Not like the force which chooses its wielders. So they probably lose their powers when they leave the valley, Dentra said. So I reckon. Maj led them out onto another platform that wound its way around a bend and into a cave. Patches of white, hazy light illuminated the inside. Dentra spotted its source. Clusters of small, white crystals that clung together, out of which a steady stream of light fog leaked and added to the mist. They came to a wide room where a circle of Deolans were chanting a low, rhythmic hum. Join us, Maj whispered. The two visitors did, crossing their legs and joining in the chant as best they could. They closed their eyes, seemingly by some external force. Time seemed to slip away, during which someone placed a small object in each of their hands. Welcome to Star Wars Age of Rebellion. This is an RPG Storytime presentation of a campaign played over several years utilizing all three Star Wars role-playing books by Fantasy Flight Games. This is a grand campaign where everything you hear was decided by players in an epic-scale role-playing and strategy game, then turned into this production that tells the story one chapter at a time with occasional explanations of game mechanics. The episodes are shorter than most gaming podcasts because each session is summarized in the form of a story much like an audiobook. It begins with a small band of agents played by a few role players. As the rebel cell grows, more players are brought in to take on the roles of other operatives heading out on other missions and taking part in various battles. Every choice affects the direction of the story, both for the characters on the mission and for the overall story arc, and the ultimate fate of the Juvex and Senex sectors is up to them. The small band of rebels have located Briley Krizlat but two of their members are not with them. 
Worse yet, the Empire might be onto Briley, so time is of the essence. The group at the research center had not yet heard from Dentra and Dubly, and now time was of the essence. Their timeline had been moved up a bit when they caused trouble in a small town, then helped Tornakaruda, a scientist, escape from the science compound where he worked. He had used the excuse that he was going to town to have lunch with his friends, but that excuse would expire before too long, and both Casito and their Imperial watchdogs were keeping close tabs on him. Added to all this was the concern Tornak had that Casito and Imperial leadership were close to figuring out he and or Briley were part of a local resistance movement. He was afraid they were closer to figuring her out, and could move in and capture her at any time. So they could not wait. They had to go in as soon as possible. Nevertheless, Yalto was calling the other two members over and over, though there was no response. Roach flew the Skyhopper back to the Freebird, and they took that to the research center. Yalto did not give up, calling to the others every chance he got, and leaving the comm open for them to respond. At last they were on approach, and Yalto had to give up on them. Hopefully they would come up from the valley before the rest of them were escaping the planet, because something told them they wouldn't be coming back. Then suddenly they received an incoming transmission. By the man Dubly! Roach exclaimed. Ah, you doing, Tiamat? Dubly answered. He sounded more relaxed than usual, almost half asleep. We were worried about you, Roach said. Yalto interrupted. Mission timeline has changed. The asset could be in trouble. We're en route to her position right now. Never fear. All is as the Force wills it. Are you guys high? Aylor asked. Just very content, Sondam. Well, you better hurry. We're there right now. I will meet you at the landing platform. <coughs> Don't worry, Reggie. I will get your ship there in one piece. Fucking hippies. Aylor muttered. Reggie beeped in agreement. Roach circled the mesa as if determining where to land, even though the mesa was wide open and there was plenty of space. As he finished his first circle, he spotted Dubly racing toward them from the distance. He brought the ship in for a landing. The Y-Wing hurried to them and came to a sudden stop, then landed next to the Freebird. The only sign of the research center was an elevator shaft that stuck up out of the ground. Two casino guards stood out in front of it. The crew of the Freebird exited the ship. Reggie began to follow, but Yalto turned around and said, Reggie, you stay behind on this one. Reggie began to throw a fit, and Roach went up to him. Listen, buddy. I know we had an exciting time back at the Science Center, but I really need you to protect the Freebird on this one so we'll be sure to be able to escape. You're the only one I can trust on this. Can you do that for me, pal? Reggie reluctantly agreed and got back onto the Freebird. Dubly and Dentra landed and joined them. They were walking with an airy yet confident gait. Dubly wore a necklace with a white crystal on it. Aylor took notice, but didn't ask for fear she would get a long, self-important answer. They reached the small building and Tornak and Dentra approached first. Tornak being a regular, the guards knew him, so he introduced Dentra as one of Briley's relatives. Dentra took a moment to remember what he was talking about, then jumped into full royalty mode. Lord Kalis Kreslat, I am here to visit my daughter. Niece? Yalto whispered. Niece, there is no need for an armed escort. I'm in a hurry. My time is valuable. We have to get Briley. It's a family emergency, Tornak said. This is his family of House Krizlet, along with their slave. And as he said, we're in a bit of a hurry. Very well, one of the guards said and pressed a button to open the door. The elevator ride wasn't as long as they had expected, 
and before they knew it, the door was opening on the opposite side as they had entered. As a way to project they were there, Tornak asked loudly to Dentra, Would you like a tour of the facility, Lord Krizlat? No, Dentra replied. I am here to retrieve my niece. I do not wish to spend any more time in this dank environment than I need to. Show me to her. Tornak led Dentra and the others through the facility. Much of it looked like a mining operation since they were digging further into the rock. On the side with the windows facing the outside, engineers monitored computers, and scientists took samples. Guards were in all areas, watching over everything. They reached a room near the opposite end and Tornak opened the door. Scientists worked at several stations, along with a couple engineers, an officer, and a guard. Briley stood in the center speaking with one of the officers. She looked up to see Tornak as he stepped inside. She brightened with a surprised smile and started toward him. Then an odd-looking bearded figure bearing a long robe strode through, proclaiming, Briley! How wonderful to set eyes upon my favorite niece. Briley froze. Her face stuck in an expression of confusion as her eyes turned toward Tornak. He nodded urgently. Dentra continued, Your uncle returns to sweep you away from this dreadful place. As he spoke, he marched lavishly toward her and swept her into his arms, kissing next to each of her cheeks. Briley saw over his shoulder another surprise that nearly overwhelmed her. Dubly stood at the door. She blinked with alarm, and Dubly subtly shook his head. Dentra wasted no time. He sashayed through the room, wiping his fingers across consoles and walls and checking them for dust, ignoring the workers as he was passing. And he said to Briley, We've had a death in the family, darling. I've been trying tirelessly to reach you. At long last, at the bottom of this whatever one would call it, I have come to bring you back, to be with us in this moment of crisis. Unsure what to say, Briley blurted out, Who died? Without missing a beat, Dentra said, Your cousin, dear Briley, Reggie Kreslat. Briley stared at him a moment. She looked over at Dubly, whose face had tightened. He nodded ever so slightly. So Briley broke out in tears, though not very realistic ones. Why? she cried out. The performance was so cringeworthy it was likely to undo the entire ruse, so Dentra upstaged her by raising his arms and twirling around in the middle of the room, getting everyone's eyes on him. I am so sorry to bother you at work like this, my sweet niece, but I really must insist that you come be with the family at this important time. By this time, Briley had figured out to cover her face with her hands. She peeked through her fingers at Tornak, who came to her and put his hand on her shoulder. There, there. We're going to send you on with your family, he said. Waiting outside, Elor and Yalto kept a watch on a nearby guard. That guard now touched his ear as though hearing something over the comms, and he stepped around a corner. Elor followed the guard just enough to keep part of him in sight. She could hear him speaking, reporting something. Reggie's beeping alarm went off in the ears of all of the operatives. Dubly and Roach understood it. Casito soldiers were entering the elevator and going down to them. Master Dentra heard it too. Though he did not understand what the droid was saying, he could tell it was bad. So his hand reached into his pocket and pressed the comms jammer. Come, dear niece, he said. It is time we must withdraw. No time to gather your things. Briley got the hint and hurried to Dentra's side. They swiftly got to the door. There, the guard got in their way, saying, Hold it! Outraged, Dentra got right into the man's face and shouted, Is there a problem, young man? Intimidated, the guard said nothing, but remained where he was. Tension mounted as everyone stared one another down. Around the corner, Elor sneaked up on the guard. She could hear him trying to establish contact with the incoming soldiers. 
so she grabbed his neck with her shock gloves and knocked him unconscious. The sound caught the attention of the guard in the next room, who turned around to find himself face to face with Yalto, who knocked him backward. The others jumped out the door, and Roach destroyed the opening mechanism. Tornak and Briley embraced, and just as they did, an alarm went off. We've got to get you out of here, he said. The members of the team grabbed their weapons from Yalto's bag. They could hear the engineers in the room next to them trying to fix the door, the officer in the nearby rooms gathering her soldiers, and more troops coming down the hallway. They were going to have to fight their way out. Dubly covered the hallway while Yalto covered the two smaller passages where Roach set grenades on a timer. Aylor and Dentra guarded the two scientists. One of the shots found Dubly and he stumbled back. As Roach finished setting the last grenade, he ran toward Yalto and a shot hit his thigh. He stumbled in agonizing pain. His thumb clenched the button while he was still too close, and he was blasted forward into a wall. Yalto ran to him. Kid! Ah, they shot me in the butt, Yali! You still did real good, kid. You closed off both passages. Roach held up a thumb. With their flank secure, they needed to push forward down the hall, so Yalto went to it along with Elor. They saw the hallway filling with enemies. Yalto opened fire with a Z6 heavy blaster, flattening those who were in the open. Elor took the opportunity to get down the hall a little ways. When the enemy survivors got up and fired at them, she took cover. Yalto saw that his team needed to do something. More enemies would be coming from the tunnel to the side, and others would reinforce the station. This could turn into attrition. Upstairs, things got worse. Reggie detected another transport inbound. Just as Yalto had suggested, reinforcements were on their way. Reggie tried to warn them, but the comms were jammed for everyone. So the droid left the Freebird and started for the Y-Wing. Tornak grabbed the rifle from the unconscious guard, and Briley helped up doubly, taking his pistol so she could use it herself. They all prepared for a breakout rush. Then Dentra got an idea. He hurried to the guard Aylor had knocked out and grabbed his communicator. Dentra turned off the comm jammer he had activated and spoke into the communicator. They're coming down the tunnel. He created interference with the comm jammer, then said through the static, If anyone can hear me, they've got reinforced within the mineshaft tunnel. This distracted many of the troops along the corridor. Aylor and Yelto had not heard Dentra, so they didn't know what was happening. But Roach had. He grabbed one of his stun grenades and ran at Yelto, placing one foot on his back, then the other, and he springboarded himself over his friend and spiked the stun grenade into the wall to ricochet down the hall to the left. It went off, knocking down the soldiers in the room. Let's go! He shouted, and they all hurried forward. Yalto led the way, spreading shots all over to pin down their opponents. Aylor leaped forward and sliced them with her lightsaber. Briley and Tornak mopped up from behind. Upstairs, the transport landed. The Casito and Imperial troops prepared to disembark. Among them were the dreaded Death Troopers. These Dark Troopers were elite Imperial units sent to the planet to hunt down the suspected rebel spies who were there. They felt the landing gear touch down. The doors opened wide. Reggie had the Y-Wing in the air now, and he fired at the transport, blowing it up. This was a one-time trick. It would not be able to do this again, so Reggie hoped the others were on their way. Near the elevator, a commander rallied his troops, telling them they'd been duped. He sent them toward the front. Just as they got there, the door slid open. They didn't even see Elor before she beheaded two of them and leaped at the commander. Her companions followed, shooting down the others in the room before they had much time to react. Others were still coming from the rooms they had bypassed, so Tornak punched the elevator button. The lift was there already and it opened up. They got in and rushed upwards. Reggie detected more ships on their way. This time the transport was escorted by fighters. Reggie was considering taking off and distracting the enemies. But then the elevator opened and Dubly and his friends ran out. Reggie beeped and whistled as loud as it could to warn them. They sprinted as quickly as they could. 
Dubly was in his ship and taking off while the others were still climbing aboard the Freebird. Dubly bought them some time by leading the enemy fighters away and firing his ion cannon, hitting one of them and making it spiral down into the valley. One of the enemy fighters chased Dubly while the others escorted the transport to the ground. Troops jumped out of it and held their guns on the Freebird. But they were too late. Roach had finished powering it up and it took off. Dubly twisted sharply around to get back to the Freebird. The fighter on his tail had taken down his shields and was in hot pursuit. The one chasing the Freebird had gotten in a couple good shots and had damaged their shields as well. Yalto got on the turret and fired back at the enemy ship, taking down their shields in return. Blaster fire came from the side. It startled Roach. He thought it was coming at them, but then the Casito fighter on their tail exploded. Doubly had taken it out. He still had the Casito fighter on his tail, and another one rose out of the mist, the one Doubly had ioned earlier. Between the pair, they were able to land a couple hits on the Freebird's rear. One more hit would likely destroy it. We need a plan, Pilot Man Doubly, Roach said. Follow me, Tiamat, and all fits in a mist. Doubly sank into the Sea of Grey. Roach did too staying close enough to see the very backs of the Y-Wing's thrusters. Doubly grasped the crystal around his neck and closed his eyes. He felt peace, the embrace of the mist. He leaned the ship suddenly to the left. Roach followed, seeing that they barely missed a cliff wall. The Y-Wing made another sharp turn to the right, and Roach followed. Behind them, the first fighter smashed full speed into the first cliff, and the second ship crashed into the second cliff. Now safely away from pursuers, the two ships slowed, continuing to navigate through the mist via Dubly's guidance. Uh, where do we go now? Our mission is complete. Brille, we are going to take you back with us to Rebel Command. Tornak, you can come with us as well if you... Briley was shaking her head. I still have work to do here. I can help you accomplish whatever you're doing, but my people need me here. Briley leaned up against Tornak. Uh, I'm confused. I thought we had to get her off the planet. We needed to get her away from the research center, Tornak said. I would rather she go to another world, but that's not something I think I can accomplish. We're not parting again, Briley said. Tornak put an arm around her and said to the others, I've got a place for us to land. We can talk about everything we need to there. He directed them around a handful of giant rock pillars until they came upon a jagged yet mighty one. There, Tornak had them fly in slowly while he called over the communicator. Freebird and Y-Wing, you are free to land, they heard as the reply. And before them, the gray veil dimmed, and they saw a great gap in the cliff wall. Skyhoppers and equipment could be seen within, and other windows dotted the area around it. And amongst all of them, people. Former slaves and freedom fighters ready to rise up. My new friends, Tornak said, welcome to the revolution. This has been an RPG Storytime presentation of Age of Rebellion. Join us next week to hear what happens next. If you'd like to see a visualization of this episode, check out our YouTube channel. The link is in the description. If you'd like to see other things written by the author of this show, you can also find that in the description. Happy gaming, everybody! <laughs>